You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Election College, episode 192, The Life of Franklin Pierce, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts... Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So Ben, where we left off in the last episode, if you haven't listened to episode 191, go back and listen to it because you're just going to be totally lost. You're going to be like, who's Franklin Pierce? And for those of you who have listened to it, you'll know when he was born and a whole lot of other stuff. But Just a quick recap. He's moved his way up through the ranks. He is now a brigadier general. It's 1847. He's serving in General Winfield Scott's army, who we just covered, Winfield Scott. You need to go back and listen to that episode, too. So Franklin Pierce is serving under Winfield Scott, and the two are not really getting along too well. So what you need to know is Scott pretty much tells Pierce, go to the back of the line. And Pierce says, nope, I must fight. And he remains in control of his brigade. And he emerges as a military hero in New Hampshire. People just love him. And people like U.S. Grant were like, you know what? Pierce, I don't agree with his politics, but he's a pretty brave dude. So what ends up happening is in 1852, Franklin Pierce runs against Winfield Scott for president. Go figure. It's like the only time that a subordinate has faced his superior in a presidential election and won. Yeah. And by the way, uh, just to mention, to clarify, the reason that Pierce got ordered back to the back of the, you know, the troops is because he had gotten injured and they, they had to like bandage him up and pack, package him up and he wasn't able to hardly walk, but they strapped him to his horse essentially. So he was (laughs) a trooper 
Yeah, they duct taped him to his horse. <laughs> Poor horse. Know. You know, you've got to imagine. Uh, Ouch. But they, they stuck him up there, and then, uh, yeah, Winfield Scott's like, get out of here. And he's like, no, let me stay. And he goes, all right, I guess, but I don't like it. And then he ends up, you know, winning the day. So pretty crazy. Yeah. So I totally jumped ahead, but I just needed to because, well, that's what you do when you talk history, right? Yeah, that's right. 1852 rolls around and it's time to elect a new president. So 1852 rolls around and everybody's home, right? They've dusted off from the war. The Americans are victorious. Winfield Scott's a hero. Franklin Pierce is a hero. Zachary Taylor is a hero. The whole bit. And the Democratic Party is in a shambles because of all of those things that we had talked about in the last episode with Northern Democrats being a bit different than Southern Democrats. The big difference was you had these barn burners who left the Democratic Party because they were opposed to slavery. And Marty, remember him? He's still around. He decides to become the Free Soil Party candidate. Yeah, and everybody's kind of expecting the National Convention for the Democrats in 1852 to be kind of a deadlock. And no candidate, you know, is going to be able to pull ahead with the two-thirds majority needed, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, there's some backroom deals going on. And some people are supporting certain individuals. Some people are supporting other ones. But basically, Pierce gets his name thrown in the ring. And he's like, you know, I don't really think that I want to do it. Uh, I, it wouldn't be my my idea. No, that's not what he said. He said it would be utterly repugnant <laughs> to my tastes and wishes. So it's not even like he was just like, nah, no, I don't know if I'm ready. He was like, no, please don't. But he knows that if he doesn't at least pretend to be willing to run, he'll lose his spot as the party leader which is important, and I'm sure it was very important to him. So he basically says, all right, guys, if you want to lobby for me, if you want to make it so that I'm at least thrown out there as a possibility, go for it. But, you know, don't really, like, push it unless you're totally sure that nobody else is going to pull through. So the convention gets together, and, of course, just like everybody expects, there's deadlock. And nobody, you know, Cass and Buchanan are both uh, big candidates that are out there. And nobody votes for Pierce, which is fine. Until there's 34 more ballots that have gone by and no one wins still. So Buchanan's like, okay, look, uh, we're not going to win this. We might as well throw our support behind somebody else who is worthy of it. Maybe that'll be Pierce. Who knows? But <laughs> what they're uh, really saying is Buchanan's going to win because we're not going to vote for anybody but him that's actually got a real shot. And so they're hoping that everybody will realize this and it ends up backfiring <laughs> because a lot of other people switch to Pierce and after 48 ballots, he gets this big rousing endorsement and Pierce gets all but six of the votes and he's like, well, crap. Uh, I guess I'm the nominee. Yeah. You know, the weird thing, so New Hampshire is anything but the South, right? You don't think mm-hmm. anyone from New Hampshire is going to have any 
Southern sympathy in this era, but he does. Franklin Pierce was totally supportive of the Compromise of 1850 and, and the Fugitive Slave Act. So this guy sounds more like somebody who's from the South, which the Democrats are probably thinking, hey, that sounds great. We have a Northerner who's going to pull some Northern states for the Democrats, right? Of course, he's going to be getting some support from the South because he is supporting all of these, I almost said crazy, Ah, I'm going to go ahead and leave that in there. Crazy issues <laughs> like the Fugitive Slave Act. So, yeah, 49th ballot. Pierce wins everybody over. Democrats, they're talking strategy. How do we seal the deal? They select one guy who was supportive of Buchanan, and that was William R. King. So King becomes the running mate. They adopt the party platform that supports slavery and the Compromise of 1850 and every possible thing that we would be against in this day and age, including all the gag rules and everything like that. Word gets to Pierce, who's chilling out in New Hampshire with his wife. Hey, you're the Democratic candidate for president. His wife faints. They're son benjamin writes to his mom saying i hope he loses i hope he loses i do not want to move to washington and to top it all off you're running against your former commander winfield scott so yeah things start off before they even uh, get to the election and he ends up winning by the way uh, we did a whole episode on that, so we're just going to just breeze right over that. He wins the election. He becomes the president, and he's headed to Washington with his family, and they're in a train, and the train car derails and rolls down an embankment, and uh, Franklin Pierce and his wife Jane survived, but they find their uh, 11-year-old son, Benjamin, who's their only remaining son, uh had been crushed to death and he was uh, killed in that accident because of the way it happened. And because of the situation, neither one of the parents were able to shield themselves from it. Essentially they both witnessed the aftermath. And so obviously both of them are very distraught, very affected. Uh, Jane, who is already, suffering from probably depression and other mental ailments as well as physical ailments cannot live with herself at this point, basically. And she makes the assumption that this is divine punishment. Uh, the fact that my husband pursued and accepted the presidency, this is just a, a an omen to prove that he shouldn't have done it. Uh, God is punishing us for for this. And so she really avoids any kind of social function for a lot of the first half of Franklin's term. Uh, she really makes it known that I don't want to be at these events. I don't want to be social. She already didn't want to be there in the first place. And then on top of that, her only remaining son passes away uh, in front of her eyes. So yeah, you kind of can't blame her for the situation she's in. Yeah. 
Yeah, two months that happened. Two months after he won the vote, about two months before he delivers an inaugural address in which he says, quote, you have summoned me in my weakness. You must sustain me by your strength. Um, Mrs. Pierce, she did not attend. And like Ben said, for two years, she pretty much just stayed upstairs and wrote letters to her dead son. You know, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I just cannot imagine. Uh, all the while, after the inauguration, Pierce is trying to unify the Democrats, which doesn't always work, as we know. It's very difficult to get any regional, uh, outside of your region agreement, uh, where you have slavery being such the, the elephant in the room. Probably the biggest highlights from Pierce's presidency were the fact that, well, I don't know, this struck me as being pretty big, that his secretary of war was Jefferson Davis, yeah. <laughs> uh, who would later on become the president of the Confederacy. And then also the Gadsden Purchase, which the intent with that was to have a transcontinental rail route through the South. So that part of Arizona and New Mexico, where we recognize the border today, that's one of the last purchases of land in the contiguous United States that was made. So Franklin Pierce, you have to thank for that. Yeah, so there's a lot of things in Franklin Pierce's tenure as the president in his first term that work against him. And we could get into some of those, but basically what you need to know is his support of forgetting about abolition. So not really support of slavery, but support of not ending slavery. Uh, it goes against him pretty heavily. Uh, some, you know, just different political moves that he made, some different people he brought in, and then some of the different land deals that weren't terribly popular all lead to him being not very revered. But he doesn't really understand this. He fully expects that, yeah, the Democrats will renominate me because I'm already the president. So if I want to run, that's what you do. You just renominate your, uh, your incumbent. So they were pretty slim, though, that he was actually going to win. And they decided, yeah, we, we need to make sure that he's not going to be the nominee. On the first ballot, he doesn't get nearly enough votes. But the ones he does get, they're all, like, from the South. And basically later on, he realizes, I'm not going to get the support I need. Wow, this is surprising to me. I'm going to tell everybody to vote for Douglas. And basically he just says, we just have to beat Buchanan. That's all we got to do. So he endorses Douglas. Douglas determines by other influences, I would imagine, that he should go ahead and back out and let Buchanan get the nomination because, hey, he's still young. He can let this happen to him in the future. Hopefully it'll, it'll work out. And so Douglas withdraws his name and Buchanan wins, which really irks Pierce, I guess you could say. Pierce becomes the only president in history that is not renominated by his party while being the president and wanting to run again. So not everybody has won their second term, of course, but um, everyone who's ever wanted to be nominated for it has been nominated, except for Franklin Pierce. Yeah. So as we know, Buchanan does become president. Uh, the, the Pierces hang out in Washington for a couple of months, and then they move back to New Hampshire. And Jane is suffering 
with uh, some health issues still, and they end up going to Europe and traveling, and then they go to the Bahamas, which, why not, right? After their travels, the Pierces settle in their home in New Hampshire, and as do I say recently, (laughs) as late as 1860, some Democrats wanted Pierce to run as a compromise candidate. Pierce says no. Douglas gets the Democratic nomination. Of course, Lincoln wins. Pierce is trying, is pleading actually, with Southern states not to secede and to find common ground um, with the North. But those efforts, of course, fail. He wanted to avoid war at all costs, but that, of course, didn't work either. So a little while later, uh, Pierce's reputation takes another hit when Jefferson Davis gets seized by Union soldiers. And, of course, Pierce had had a lot of correspondence with Davis um, before the war, of course, and they've been really good friends. And, you know, Pierce basically predicted that if there's a war, it's going to be bad and that the North is going to really put a hurting on the South. And this gets sent to the press and the abolitionist movement really strikes out further against him. And then in 1863, Jane, his wife, dies from tuberculosis and uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who's a really close friend, dies. And uh, things just keep getting getting worse for Pierce. Uh, they tried to, hey, why don't we put you up for getting you on the nomination? again for the election and he just says no i'm, I'm really not interested uh people are so like he can do no right basically at this point so no matter what he does people are going to uh, accuse him of having ill will about it from this point forward and so even after lincoln was assassinated there's a mob that gets together outside of pierce's home and says hey why didn't you raise a flag to to show your respect and to show that you were mourning and of course he's angry over that he says of course i'm sad that lincoln has been killed but I don't need to show a public gesture. I was in the military. I was the president. Like that should be enough to show you that I'm patriotic. And uh, yeah, basically he's, he's the guy who can do no right in the eyes of his opponents. And that that's not unique to him, but it certainly was hard, harder for him than many. So really the last several years of his life, he's struggling. Uh, it's an ongoing struggle with him throughout his life with alcoholism, but when he's not um, buying property and farming and hosting relatives, he's drinking. And unfortunately, he gave in to uh, those desires to drink. And by mid-1869, he was in very poor health. And he is drinking to the point where he suffers from cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, he knows that He's not going to recover at this point, and he passes away on October 8th of 1869. Yeah, and none of his family members, which, you know, there aren't any real direct family members, but he doesn't have any family members or friends gathered around in his final days. He has a caretaker who's there, and it's kind of a sad ending to one of our presidents. Um, You know, there are kind words said about him later. Uh, memorial service was attended by President Grant. Um, it's you know, declared a, a day of national mourning, etc. But yeah, Franklin Pierce is kind of a, a sad story from start to finish, really. Yeah. You don't know what people are struggling with. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine 
losing a child, much less losing three. And um, some just, you know, I guess a lot of people aren't listening for our own commentaries, but uh, guys, listen to your wives, (laughs) for heaven's sake. (laughs) Um, uh, and wives, you know, maybe your husbands have some good insight, but, uh, you know, speaking as a guy, uh, listen to your wife. Especially if she tells you don't run for president because she might know something. (laughs) So, um, speaking of listening to others, (laughs) you've been listening to us and we really appreciate it. Uh, several of you have signed on to support the podcast and we thank you so much. You can support election college for as little as 11 cents an episode. That's like a dollar a month where you can go to Patreon and you can easily get there by visiting electioncollege.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T- r-e-o-n and for as little as a dollar a month we really would appreciate it helps us pay the bills that's kind of a good thing to do yeah and another way you can help us out is by leaving us a review on itunes that's right even if you don't use itunes head over there and leave us a review it won't take you long and it means a lot to us and it means a lot to people who want to listen to the show in the future as well if they know that it is quality Uh, it also helps us out if you use the overcast app and you go in and recommend our show and it's pretty easy to do and people will be able to see it in the recommendations tab which goes all my favorite. yeah and we love to interact with you on our social media outlets we're on facebook twitter and instagram at election college thanks everybody for tuning in which is not a term that i should use in podcast land that's preserved for the radio but nonetheless thanks for tuning in we appreciate it and we'll talk to you next time Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.